Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. Uh, so our highest authority tonight is Jesus Christ and his word. Uh, he authoritates or he rules out of love, as it says in Ephesians. He is not a God of, of anger or one who wants to condemn us, but one who offers us life abundantly because of his love. So as an authority figure, know that while in authority, he loves you and he cares about you deeply. We are all going to be accountable to God, not only for what we've done, but for why we've done it. Our motives behind it. So our motives must be pure before the Lord because we are going to be accountable to him. We're not changing the message. The message is what should be changing us, okay? The message is what has the power to change people. seated tonight and what a great time we had in this place on Sunday my my goodness it's been a uh, the Lord is always good to us but he was just extra good this last Sunday and uh, did a lot of things in the house of the Lord amen uh, we're going to dismiss uh, my wife's class the, uh, the children's class and if anybody needs uh, during the course of this panel discussion discussion night the um, the nursery is available if you have a small child and you need to use the nursery. It's, it's available right at the top of the steps. Uh, but we hope that that doesn't take place because I think what we're going to talk about tonight is very important. And I believe that, um, that uh, well, you chose the topics. We, we, we offered you several topics to choose from. And we took the top three that got the, the most votes. And uh, we're going to be talking about three different topics. The next time we have a panel discussion, uh, we can, this was kind of, I don't want to say a last minute thing, but we didn't have a whole lot of time to get uh, this put together. Uh, these first Wednesday nights kind of sneak up on me every once in a while. And we knew we wanted to do a panel discussion. So tonight it's just uh, myself and uh, assistant pastor and our youth pastor tonight, student pastor, that's going to be a part of this panel discussion. And the way we did it, we have broken it up into three different topics. And each one is going to take that topic. It will not be all inclusive. There's no way that you can, you know, or exhaustive, I should say, tonight on these subjects so we're trying to hit the highlights in the time that is allotted and I believe the next time we do this we're going to try to take one subject and break it down into categories possibly and uh, use our ministry in the church to take one person per category and uh, it's just fun it's a different way of learning I've enjoyed these panel discussions in the past being a part of them and uh, we've gotten a lot of good positive feedback from them so just as something just a little bit different than what we normally do it's great to have the young people in here uh, with with uh, the adults uh, every once in a while as well our young people are, are bright they're very smart very intelligent and they get a lot of good feeding up in the uh, their class rooms upstairs but uh, occasionally I think it's good that we all come together and we all hear the same thing from uh, the group of uh, men that are here in this place both tonight and the next panel discussion that we have. So we're going to take about 15 minutes uh, a piece and then have a five minutes where the other two can kind of chime in or if we chime in in the middle we are not going to take more than 20 minutes per category. So with that being said I am now going to relinquish this pulpit and step up on the platform with these other two gentlemen tonight and uh, we've asked Brother Christian 
to take the first topic tonight. That would be uh, the topic of spiritual authority. Um, now, if you would have questions later on, we'd be happy to answer them. But for the sake of time, we'd be happy to try to answer them. Uh, for the sake of time tonight, it's going to be uh, these three men. Uh, and uh, But if you have stuff that you have questions about, feel free to write those down. Those may very well become the next topic of discussion that we have. And uh, so we're going to turn this over to Brother Anglin at this time to teach us tonight about spiritual authority. God bless him. Turn this on and try it again. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good to be with you tonight. As Pastor Rice has said, uh, there is really no way to get a topic like spiritual authority completely covered in 15 minutes. I told Brother Jones, I think on my iPad right now, I could probably go hour and a half, two hours. So if I just, you know, completely abandon thought and move elsewhere, just know that's what happened. I'm trying to, to keep it under 15 minutes. Uh, but to, to start spiritual authority tonight, I would say it's, uh, it, it's safe to, to say that society roles are out of place in today's society. Um, oftentimes women rule the home, kids have no structure, men want to be women and women want to be men. Uh, men are represented with no backbone on every television sitcom or uh, radio program you can think of. Split families are at an all-time high. We can go on forever about the way society is different than, than it should be in, in the Bible and the way the Bible represents it. And all these issues, as well as many others in the world today, stem from a lack of spiritual authority. There's no authority in, in our society today. So if we start in the word, uh, starting in Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 30, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, uh, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives shall submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they, as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church and we are the members of his body. So looking at this text, I'm going to uh, dissect it in, in several different ways. First, I want you to, to start by saying that Christ is the head of the church. As it says in Ephesians 5, Christ is the head of the church. Uh, Christ is the head of each and every one of us. He is the supreme authority in our life. In Matthew 28 and 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the authority. Everything goes through and because of Jesus Christ. All things are under the authority of Jesus Christ. So we also know that because of that authority, we will answer to Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, right? So if we are going to decide how we must live our life, I would say it's very safe to, to live it based off of who you're going to answer to at the end of it, and that is Jesus Christ. I, I saw a, a meme not too, too long ago that I thought was rather funny clever, uh, a pop star had said something along the lines of only God can judge me. And in this, this meme or this funny picture, it's a, a picture of a guy with a hello look on his face and it says, that should scare you. Okay, God is going to judge you. And if you're not living in, in a life that represents uh, an authority figure of Jesus Christ, 
that's going to be kind of scary because you're not going to like the outcome of it. You have to live the lifestyle that, that he would recommend or that he has put in front of us. Uh, so our highest authority tonight is Jesus Christ and his word. Uh, he authoritates or he rules out of love, as it says in Ephesians. He is not a God of, of anger or one who wants to condemn us, but one who offers us life abundantly because of his love. So as an authority figure, know that while in authority, he loves you and he cares about you deeply. Uh, the, the next part of, of spiritual authority that I would like to mention tonight is uh, pastoral authority. And this type of authority is different than any other we're going to talk about tonight in the sense that uh, the authority of, of the pastor is to uh, have the authority to hold us accountable. It is not in the same way that God has the ability to tell us you're going to heaven, you're not, uh, although pastor can point out things in which will get us to heaven and will not. He does not get to make that, that ultimate uh, decision. And so his authority is more so in the way to hold us accountable. His duty is to, to guide us and protect us and to preach the word. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It's to correct us when we are wrong and teach us to do what is right. Therefore, if our pastor uh, is to preach, uh, he has the authority to and not necessarily enforce that word, but to hold us accountable for that word. If we say that the Bible is true, everybody believe the Bible is true. Yes. If the Bible is true and we teach from the Bible, we preach from the Bible, and that is our authority, then the person who is teaching it has been given that authority as well. Yes. Not in a sense that, like I said, he can condemn or, or save, but in a sense that he can't hold us accountable for the way we, we use that. So, as I said, completely different than, than the other authorities that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and going back to our, our main text, we will talk about a uh, man and being the, the head of the wife or the head of the household. As men, we should be the head and the spiritual leader of our homes. We are there to provide, protect, love, and all these different things. And we take the passages as, uh, of Scripture about the man's role as the head of the household, and if we are not careful, we build almost this alpha male mentality about it. That my house, my rules, and I'm a grown man, and, and we say different things like this in our society, uh, and it gets to the point where I don't want to go to church because I'm too tough to cry, and I'm too tough for spirituality, and you know we're just he-man, woman haters in, in, uh, in America today. And so we look around, and we see society telling us to release our manly duties and just be. And then the Bible tells us we are the authority of our homes, and we need to lead with love, which causes a complex of ultimate authority at times. But one thing that is missing from the role of men that is forever overlooked, in my opinion, is that we need to submit to authority in our life as well. Just as you are the authority, you also need to be submitted to authority. And so if we, um, if we look at the text in, in Matthew 8 is where I'll take you next, uh, 5 through 10. Uh, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. And with my soldiers, I only need to say go, and they go or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to those who were following him and said, I tell you the truth, I haven't heard or seen faith like this in all of Israel. So this man, the Roman officer, represents something that, that I feel is very important. He says, I am of authority, 
because I am under authority. Much in the same way us men should be today. It's important for us to, to, um, to operate our households with authority as God has intended it to be. But it's also important to remember why you have that authority. And that's because God gave it to you. And so this idea of, well, I'm a man and I can do what I want. I'm sorry that philosophy only works if you are submitted to God. And therefore, a life of sin outside of the church where you decide I'm not going to go to church because I'm man is completely irrelevant and outside the Bible. And therefore, if I can say it, you're not being a man as the Bible says you should be. And if the Bible says you're not being a man... Okay, so I, I think the, the Bible would challenge any man who proclaims to be one without first being submitted to Jesus Christ yes. and following the word of God. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip into to, uh, women here. And much like men, you are the authority, but also under authority. Because of the, the state of our society, women also have this mentality of, you know, strong-willed, independent, I don't need no man kind of thing sometimes. And to be honest, that's just simply not true. You still need the authority of, of men in your life. And saying that, I am not saying that if you do not have a, a man figure in your life, that you're supposed to go find one. Uh, that's, not, that's not my point. But my point is, is we need to allow our men to be men and train our men to be men and be submissive to that when applicable. So according to the text, you are to be submitted to your husband and, and the man of the house. This means they lead and you follow. Just as man will answer for the way he leads his home, you will be responsible for the way you follow in the home. This does not mean tonight to be a doormat. The Bible says you are to be loved and respected by the man. And when those two things work together, we know that the God is in it and the household will be blessed. Um, it also doesn't mean that, it, as I said earlier, if you are uh, single or uh, there is that father figure missing from your life, that you're just supposed to go find one wherever you can get one. It simply means, as stated, that you are to be fully submitted to the leader of your home. Uh, as women, your duty is found in, in Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And quickly, uh, just to list them out for you, to teach younger women to love your family, work in the homes, and be submissive. Uh, and so, although you are to be submitted to your, your, your husband or be submitted to the man of the house, you are also in a, a place of leadership, as it says in Colossians 3.20. It tells that children are to obey not just their father, but parents. And because of that, you are putting authority over the children you are raising in your home. This makes you submitted to authority, but also an authority over your children. Uh, so, in, in closing tonight... Uh, I want to, to say that none of this is said to uh, in a male chauvinist way or, or anything like that. I am not here to pump anyone up or to tear anyone down. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 11 and 12 says, But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first wom woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. So we are unified no matter what you decide to, uh, to say about maybe gender roles or spiritual authority in the home or, or these types of things. We are unified in the sense that we are all part of the body of Christ, first of all, yes. and that he has ordained the first woman, as you said, came from, from man and every other comes from woman. Uh, so we need each other, but we also have a duty to follow the chain of spiritual authority in our lives. God is overall Man is under God, but authority to women. Women is under man, but authority to children. 
And as I said also earlier with the pastor, there is still that need for a, a spiritual authority in that role as well, although not listed specifically in Ephesians, which is a little different in the sense of, of holding us accountable for the way we are leading our homes or the way we are following the leader of our home and those types of things. So anyone else have anything to add? I was going to refer to my brother, but... He's referred to me. Uh, I just have three quick uh, points here, very quickly, uh, concerning what Brother Anglin had to say. Uh, I love what he had to say uh, right, on, right on the head with that topic. Very, very good. Uh, he said that God would judge, and I, I believe that is the ultimate truth right there, that God will become our judge in the, the very final stages of everything when it's all said and done. God will be the judge, but I wanted to, uh, to add this. He will judge us by what? His word will be judged by his word. Amen. Not by what uh, another man has said, not by what uh, philosophy the world deems to be correct, not, not by what is popular, uh, not by what, uh, you know, any other part of the world deems to be important at a specific time or era, but by his word. And that is why we're all playing on, lame, uh, on the same uh, playing field here. It's a level field because God's word does not change. It is forever established. Amen. We all play by the same book. Uh, second thing, pastoral authority uh, needs to align with that word. Uh, there, we all know that there are times when a, a pastor will overstep his bounds or there will be a pastor that will go off on some crazy doctrine somewhere else. If a pastor is not using the word of God as his basis, you need to find a pastor that is. Okay, a pastor that's preaching the full gospel. If I ever get to the place where I'm pastoring this church and I'm coming up with my own doctrine, you have every right to move on and find somebody who's preaching you the full truth. Number three, uh, when a king is a good king, the, the spiritual authority, God, the husband, the wife, you know, I, I, in this day and age, you know, and I think probably every day and age in, in the past, there, that raises the hackles on the back of some people. What do you mean? You know, uh, he's over me. Let me say this. When a king is a good king, those that are following him have no problem being beneath him, serving him. But when a king is a bad king, you're up for a revolt, a revolution sooner or later. And so as a husband, that the, the, the portion where we are uh, submitted to God, when we're submitted to God, we're going to be a good husband. If we're following God's word, we're going to love our wife as Christ loved the church. And if we love our wife like that, our wife will have no problems loving us back and submitting to our authority in the home because she understands that everything we do is for her benefit and your children's benefit. Each role is critical. Um, the husband isn't following God correctly. The wife will have fo trouble following, God, uh, following the husband. It's as simple and plain as that. So men... You may have an authority in the home, but there's a way to go about making sure that that authority is a proper authority. I just like to say that as a man, number one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Put him first in everything, and then love, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and love your children. You'd lay down your life for, for your wife and your child. Amen. I know I would today. Amen. All right. This uh, kind of leads us into my topic. Uh, somebody set the timer for me, 731. All right. Mine is the importance of accountability. Um, I cannot stress enough how important it is 
to have uh, things that you are accountable to in your life. And I'll tell you why accountability is so important. It's so important because things that people that aren't accountable to anybody else tend to abuse anything and everybody. If, have you ever had somebody that doesn't answer to anybody? You know, there's, a, there's a, 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 an authority line uh, in every, every company uh, in, in the home. Uh, and so I want to talk about three things very quickly I'm going to try to cover this evening uh, when it comes to accountability. Number one, accountability to ourself. I'm account- I need to be accountable to me. I need to hold myself accountable. Number two, I want to be accountable to my brothers and my sisters. You are my brothers, you are my sisters, and my neighbor. You know, other people that are in this world. Number three, I need to be accountable to God. Let me tell you what accountability means. Accountability means to be liable to being called to account or answerable. In other words, it it means that we are responsible to give an answer for our actions or an inactions on any such matter. Uh, we have a thing where I work, you know, if we mess up, then the boss calls us in the, in the office because it's right on his screen. And, and my boss and I get along very well. He likes me. He acts like he likes me anyway. And we get along very well. And we cut up and, and, and chew the fat every once in a while. And, but, but you know what? He may not want to call me into his office when I've messed up, but he calls me in. You know why? Because somebody above him is holding him accountable. And so, therefore, he has to hold me accountable for my actions. So, I have to go into into his office, and he says, hey, how come this happened? If I have a a legitimate reason, well, it's because there was a a wreck, and I got held up for 20 minutes, or there was a train on the track, or my, my vehicle broke down, or something like that. Then I can explain to him, but he wants me to tell him why the problem took place, because he needs to explain it to his boss who is holding him accountable. Let's start with uh, being accountable to ourselves. Here's something I don't want us to ever uh, mix up. Sometimes we uh, confuse apologizing for being accountable. Well, if I just tell him I'm sorry, that's good enough, right? Uh, I, I can say whatever I want, but I can always go to him later and say I'm sorry. And everything ought to be okay. But being accountable uh, uh, to ourselves is more than just apologizing. It, it, it's, uh, it, it takes meeting the requirement for an offense. An apology isn't accountability. Restitution is accountability. Yes. When we pay for what we've done wrong. If, I'll take you to Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus meets Jesus and, and the people, uh, Luke chapter 19 and 7 the people, the Bible says, when they saw it, they all murmured. They started talking amongst themselves about Zacchaeus and what was taking place here and what Jesus was doing. Because Jesus said, I want to go to your house and so have supper with you. And so that's, what they were, that's where they were headed. And so the people began murmuring and they said that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. Well, nobody knew that they were a sinner more than Zacchaeus knew, especially when Jesus came onto the scene. He has a way of making us understand that we have need of him. <laughs> and so Zacchaeus stood and he said unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He said, I know I've been a thief. I know I've been a robber. I know I've cheated people. And so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to apologize. And so he says, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. And I have taken it. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, then I will restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, this 
day is salvation come to this house for as much as he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You if you want to know why salvation could come to the house of Zacchaeus on this particular day, it's because Zacchaeus came to the understanding of what true accountability was. It wasn't that he just started blaming them. Well, they're not a very good people anyway, and they spend their money foolishly, and they don't take care of their kids. So I just thought, what's the point? I'm just going to skim a little off the top and keep it for myself. He didn't start pointing fingers. He didn't tell Jesus, okay, starting now, I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm not going to cheat anybody else. No, Zacchaeus said, I've got to make this right. I've got to do something about the wrongs. Zacchaeus held himself accountable for his wrong actions. When we stop blaming everything else for our problems and we start holding ourselves accountable is when true change will take place in our life. That's when real change takes place. Number two, accountability to, to our brothers and sisters. Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled. That means re reunited or resolved with the issue between you and your brother. And then come back and offer thy gift. So Matthew, he, he wrote that before the gift will be received by God, that God holds us accountable to our brothers and our sisters to make things right and then come on back and I'll, then we'll talk about me receiving the gift. Well, what gift do we bring to him? We give him the gift of ourself. We give him the gift of a, a living sacrifice. And I think that there's a lot of people in this world that have unopened gifts still laying on the altar that they're offering up to God. God, I, I, I'm laying myself before you, and, and they don't feel any real changes taking place. They go back out the same person that they came in because they laid themselves on the altar. And God says, I can't heal you until first you make some things right with the person that you've, made, had, uh, that you've offended. And so he says, when you go back and you reconcile with your brother, then come on back down to the altar with your gift, and I'll receive your gift. Amen. So for the sake of time, Romans chapter 14, I want to hit the highlights. I, I, I want everybody that would go home and read Romans chapter 14. It's very enlightening on what God ex expects for us. But I'm going to just give you kind of the highlights here. It talks about the church is to accept those who are weak in faith. Is one of the first things that Romans chapter 14 starts talking about. And that simply means somebody that is new or somebody that doesn't have the full understanding. Maybe you've lived for God for, for 20, 25, 50 years. Who knows? And you've got it down. You understand. But I promise you this, you probably didn't when you first walked through the door for the very first time. And so the first thing that the Lord says is accept those people that don't have an understanding of what's going on. And they may, they may do things that you, that you know that are, are not right, but you don't kick them out. You accept them. You bring them in. And we're not to look down on somebody because they have a stance on an issue that we, we might not have or they don't have a stance on a personal conviction that we do have. We are a body of believers, but we're not all in complete and total agreement on our personal convictions, and we never will be. That does not mean that we cannot come together and worship together. We've got to have certain things that there's no, there's, there's no room for, for error on, but there's some things that God allows us to have personal conviction. But when I start taking my personal conviction and start shoving it down your throat, 
Or I go to somebody and I look down my nose at somebody that, that, that maybe I believe I've got to wear um, um, my sleeves down to my fingertips. And you're okay with, with elbow, length, uh, elbow length sleeves. And I say, say well, you're, you're not godly. Then I, that puts me in error. That puts me in error. That is not a salvation doctrinal issue. That is something that, that we have to be careful and cautious with. Uh, and, and as a pastor, I always want to be cautious with what I put out there. Make sure that it's not just a personal conviction for me. Make sure that it's something that, 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 um, that doesn't not put you in a place of rebellion against pastoral authority over something that uh, is not necessarily a salvation issue, but I'll, I'll try to uh, get everybody on the same core page and then allow God to work out with you your own personal convictions. Okay? Okay, uh, it also lists several items that were relative on their day, some of them still relative now, and it says that we're not to judge each other because ultimately we are not the judge, which is what you were saying. We and they will all answer to God not each other. I'm your pastor, uh, but on that day, you're not going to answer to me, and I'm not going to answer to you. We're all going to answer to God. Number three, uh, accountability to God. Let me back up. I want to uh, give you this last line here. We are accountable to help each other along the way, not become stumbling blocks for each other. And as this church grows and as we have already grown, you know what? You can have two people in the same place and they still won't have, uh, be on the same page with certain issues. But I love the fact that mature Christians don't have to be completely on the same page with certain, uh, certain outlying issues that are personal convictions. But we can still worship together and grow the church together and grow the kingdom together. All right. Not become stumbling blocks one to another. Let's not major on the minor things and minor on the major things. Let's, let's keep the major things the major things, okay? That doesn't mean that I'm out here saying, okay, we've just gone charismatic and nothing matters anymore. You know me better than that. You know what I believe in. You can look at this platform and tell what we believe in and, and certain standards that are important. Okay, number three, accountable to God. How much time do I have? I'm probably out, aren't I? 30, how much? <laughs> One says 30 seconds, the other says five minutes. It's probably the five minutes they're giving up. I have very little left here. Okay, uh, continue reading Romans chapter 14 down to verse 10, which talks about being accountable to God to get the rest of the picture. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And, and these, this is the scripture we love to quote all the time. Every knee is going to bow. I quote it all the time. Every tongue is going to confess. So then each of us, this is the scary part, shall give account of himself to God. One day every motive for why we've done the things that we've done is going to be revealed. You may have done the right thing and it's cost you dearly and made you look bad. And people have not understood, but you know in your heart that your motives were pure and that you were serving God. And the rest of the world may not understand why, but God on that day will make it right. And it will be revealed what your motives were. You may do the right thing, but you're only doing them so that men might give you an attaboy, a good old pat on the back. You know, but the reason and motive behind it on that day, God is going to judge that. We are all going to be accountable to God, not only for what we've done, but for why we've done it. Our motives behind it. So our motives must be pure before the Lord because we are going to be accountable to him. If I only serve God for what I can get out of it, God knows it. If I cause a brother to fall, but it gets me a little 
position that I want. But a couple people backslidden because of it. God knows it. If all I can give is a widow's mite, and everybody sneers at me and says, we'll never get anywhere with offerings like that, but I sacrifice more than anybody because I've given sacrificially, God knows it. I'll just leave you with this. Accountability doesn't make excuses. It makes changes. True accountability. If you really want to change, hold yourself, be accountable to yourself, be accountable to each other, and most of all, be accountable to God. I was uh, just thinking um, in uh, the company that I work for, one of our big uh, biggest things that we do is um, inventory management, and there's several different things that we uh, several different tools that we do to utilize that uh, in a in a workplace, but one of them is is a is a vending machine for industrial products, and and the biggest selling point to our customers with that, and Christian, you can attest to this, is accountability. It is accountability. So now, rather than just a cardboard box full of gloves sitting in the supply crib that's just open season for employees. Now you have a machine that you go in and you punch your number in and you press what you want and it dispenses the exact amount, you know, I want one pair of gloves or I want a pair of safety glasses. And that is the selling point to our customers. It makes everybody accountable. And when everybody is accountable, everything just flows smooth and it's for the better, uh, it's to the betterment of the company. And it's the same thing in our spiritual walks, guys. When we are accountable uh, to ourselves, we're accountable to others, we're accountable to God, it's to the betterment of us, to your brothers and sisters, and to the kingdom of God. Amen. I would encourage everybody to find somebody to be accountable to. Find an accountability partner and say, hey, would you call me every Monday at 7 or something? You know, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, PM. <laughs> You know, well, if you say you're up praying at six, you know, then they need to call you at seven to make sure you are up at uh, up at six praying. Uh, so, no, that's all I wanted to add. I'll, I'll very quickly add that when it comes to accountability, utmost importance, to, as, as both uh, men have said, to be accountable to God, to be accountable to yourself, uh, be accountable to others. But there's also a way in which you we are expected to receive that accountability. Um, when someone is apologetic or, you know, as, as Pastor Rice was talking about, whenever you are to go to that other person and make amends before you can receive the gifts at, at the altar that God may have for you, there is a way in which you are to, to do that. And we need to remember that, that as God loves us, we are to love each other. And it's just as important not only to, to be accountable to someone, but to receive and, and give accountability to someone with love as, as Jesus does for us. All right. Everybody all right? Why don't you high-five your neighbor real fast? All right. They're still awake. We're good. All right, so I am going to not tackle. Not in the face, not in the face, and Ooh. my hands. Hang on, let me stop my time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't point at anybody. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to wrap this up with, uh, with one of the topics that you all had uh, chosen, and that was preaching the gospel in the 21st century. Preaching the gospel in the 21st century. Does anybody know how many keys are on a piano? 
give that lady a dollar. 88 keys on a piano, 88. And for several centuries now, pianos have been made with this standard number of keys. And it's amazing because somehow, every time I get in my car or I uh, turn on Google at home or whatever it is, anytime I turn on the radio, uh, I, I, it's possible for me to hear what? New melodies. It's possible for me to hear new creative lyrics in such a way that it makes me think, I have never heard this song before. I have never heard this beat before. I have never heard this style of music before. And it, it's, what's amazing is it's the same number of notes. It's the same number of keys. It's the same chords and yet seemingly endless numbers of great songs and a few bad ones. Thank you, Billy Ray Cyrus. Um, but for, for, sorry to anybody that's a Billy Ray Cyrus man. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody's upset about that. There's no mullets in here that I see. All right. So for the past thousands of years, to the Jew first and now also to the Greek, our creator has been singing the same song of grace and love and truth. And though the message has remained constant, found in 66 books of the Bible, the creativity of presenting the song has not. The notes are the same, but in our effort to get people to tune in consistently to the message, I believe that wisdom would have us arrange the notes in a fresh way that will reach new listeners and make old music lovers grow in their affection for the one true song that God has produced since the beginning of time. And, and we have to understand that. That, that for those of you that are like, how do I, how do I witness to, uh, to this culture, this society, and this time period that God has placed me in, how do I preach the word of God? How do I minister the word of God? How do I share the word of God? We have to understand that our message remains the same. Okay, we're not, we're not compromising in the 21st century. We're not saying, hey, that isn't true anymore. That isn't right anymore. How many know we're not changing the message, right? Can I hear an amen? amen? We're not changing the message. The message is what should be changing us, okay? The message is what has the power to change people, okay? The gospel that you and I are, are, are sharing in the 21st century is the same gospel that was preached all the way back in Acts chapter 2, or at least it should be. Yes. All right. I like what Paul told the church in Corinth. He said, he said this. He said, Jews require a sign and the Greeks are looking for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ don't be confused about the message when we're like, what do I share with my friend? What do I share with my co coworker? You share Christ and him crucified. That is the gospel that you are sharing, okay? It, we still preach Christ. That is our message. We're not here to change that. Uh, Paul defined the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I know that the, that the gospel has many other ramifications and implications, but these three events, they define the gospel in a nutshell. It is still the death, it is still the burial, and it is still the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the truth that you and I should be preaching. 
and should be sharing. But, but we must understand that though the message remains the same, the melodies and the methods delivering the lyric need to change as our world continues to turn and as we are presented with newer instruments that are being made available to help deliver this precious word and this precious truth that we've been given. And, it, and I believe that it should be one of the joys of our lives and the greatest privilege to bring the never-changing message to an ever-changing world. It should be the, the, our greatest privilege to take a, 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 a Savior who is the same yesterday, today, and forever to bring him and present him to a world that is ever-changing. And so we have to understand that tonight, that, 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 that times, they are a-changing. Boy, it's quiet in here. They are a-changing. I was just reading an article just a couple months ago that was talking about how fast youth ministry is changing. Um, and the data that they had presented was showing that in five years, almost everything had changed. Almost everything. A youth worker had been out of youth ministry for five years and they, and then a spot came available. They did not have a youth pastor. And so the pastor, he, he inquired this man and he said, Hey, would you like to jump back into it? And he said, I will. I'll do whatever I can. And he jumped back into it and he almost didn't even know where he was. He didn't know what he was dealing with. All of a sudden, everything had changed. What, what, what teens were into had changed. It was in just five years time. It had changed what their likes were, what their dislikes were, what the popular social media platform was for them that they were on and using constantly. I mean, there are some people that have joined Facebook this week. And the truth is a lot of young people have been off of it for years. Facebook is now the MySpace or the everybody's connected. If you're still on that, Lord, come to the altar tonight, okay? Nobody is still on that, okay? Things are changing, and they are changing fast. And I don't believe the Bible tells us, instructs us to be exclusive in, in, in styles of music, media, or message presentation we use, but that we are to find ways to bring the message effectively, that's a key word in this sentence, effectively into all the world in order to make disciples. We are to bring the message in and effectively share it into all the world to make disciples. 1 Corinthians 9, 23, Paul exhorts us to become all things to all men so that we may by all means save some. We do all things for the sake of the gospel, Paul says. All things. Somebody say all things. All things. things. New and old. New and old. We're not up here to try to throw away amazing grace. That song is still what? It is still effective effective this past sunday we had an amazing service and it began to break as we began to sing an old chorus and blended into a newer chorus all things all things working together uh and i I believe this 
if we discover a new or creative way to do something that brings glory to God and can impact people and push them towards Jesus, then I think that we should aggressively commit to those things. If it brings glory to God, I'm not here to say if anything is against the Bible. We know that, okay? We know we're not going to go against his word. But if something, there's something new, some new idea. And remember, we are creative beings. God is a, he's a creative God and we are made in his image and he created us to be creative. And it's one of my prayers, Lord, release the creativity that you have put in my life. Amen. Um, everyone has creative potential. Everyone has creative potential. And here's the deal. You may not be a Van Gogh or a Beethoven, but we all serve a creative God. We're all made in his image. And part of being made in his image is that we have been given the ability to create, to think outside the box, and sing old truth in new songs. In new songs. And again, our melodies... They may change, but the message must always remain the same. It is Christ crucified. It is Christ crucified. And I believe that as we set our our minds on things above and not on things of this earth, it is our charge to communicate in a way that resonates with our culture, in a way that our culture understands it and, and, and that they can make sense of it. And in doing so, we have to be careful that we do not endorse anything or, or anyone that would, again, dishonor God or cause confusion to the hearer, okay? God is not the author of confusion. But here's the deal. I would be foolish. I believe we would be foolish if we did not, as Paul did in Athens, refer some things in order to build a bridge to the one truth that will set us all free. Yes. Amen. Paul used Greek philosophy of his day and age, uh, and I don't think that can be overlooked or dismissed. He used the words of intellectuals of his day. You know why he used it? To his advantage in taking God's word and the good news to the Greek-speaking Gentile world. They understood him. That made sense to them. He wrote and spoke words to a particular people who would have understood and would have been very familiar with the metaphors and the ideas which he was using. Why? To be effective, to help make disciples. So, so in the 21st century, how do we, how do we do that? How do we, how do we encourage our culture to follow God? You know what we do? We study our culture. We study it. We know it. We understand its needs, its desires, its habits. And then we see if we can use media and and things that this culture, they might love. Again, it's something, it can be something that dishonors God, but we use that to connect, uh, to connect their hearts to the greatest love that they could ever know and experience, a love that will satisfy their deepest desires and transform their hearts completely. Amen. Uh, last year, we, we took our, uh, I was a part of going to the group up to the gathering, formerly known as the Relay, and they have what's called a ministry talent search where 
people would get up there and they would use their talents and people would vote on who they thought did the best job and then they would present that person with award and maybe that person got to uh, sing or do whatever their talent was at the next youth convention. And so I, I had planned on going in there and I had planned on hearing just a bunch of people sing a slow song, sing a fast song. And to my amazement, I went in and there was a girl up on the platform and there was a song, beautiful song that was playing and she was up there and she had a canvas that was on an easel and she began to paint as the song played throughout the song. I'm sure some of you have, have seen those on some videos that have been shared through social media. Um, and so she began to paint what, what ended up being a picture of a girl that was on her knees praying before God. And it was, it was so effective, so powerful to watch her do that. And, and it got me thinking as I began to prepare uh, uh, this lesson, what Paul was saying, he became all things to all men. Amen. And I say this to those who find beauty in visual art, we should be painters. That's what we should do. We become all things. That's why it's important for you to use your talent because if I get up there and paint, it's not going to look like anything but maybe tic-tac-toe and I lost the game or something. Uh, but, but some of you have talents and don't think just because your talent is as a singing or a preaching talent that it can't be used in the kingdom of of God don't think that for one second Michelangelo the, the the painter he tells this he was asked how he created a beautiful piece of art from a block of marble and he replied I saw an angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free he said, I saw an angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And I say this, if God's story is written on the hearts of men, it is our responsibility to carve creatively with powerful words, art, music, social media, and anything that we can get our hands on in the 21st century. Any instrument that God has allowed us to be a part of. That's why our social media platforms are so important. Our, our church Facebook is so important. We are, pro, we are on there promoting our church. Why? Because when we promote our church, we promote Jesus. We promote the kingdom of God. And it's our job to use all means necessary to reach our community with this truth. I have one minute left. I would like to say this. Um, one of the ways that I believe we can effectively reach people in the 21st century um, is this. I believe that this generation needs to be told why. I believe they need to be told why. Why, why we do what we do, why we preach what we preach, why we believe what we believe, baptize the way we baptize, dress the way we dress, talk the way we talk. We must be, we cannot be afraid to sit down and dialogue with somebody. We need to be able to tell somebody why. And if you can't dialogue with somebody, dialogue with somebody, maybe you don't know why. We've got to know why, why we do the things we do. And I believe that when you tell a person why, not just, well, this is the way it's always been. This is how it's all, we've always done things, or this is what my religion is. Okay. When you tell a person why you empower that person, you empower them. Great people, great disciples are made when they know why they are doing what they are doing. There's a quote that I love and I've shared it with you before. It says this, a person who knows how will always have a job, but he will always work for the person who knows why. Because knowing why empowers you. 
Craig Groeschel on his leadership podcast episode on this, how to grow a healthy organization. He talks about three basic things you want to do when starting up a business or launching a ministry or whatever it is. And he said the very first thing that, that he lists is this, you must obsess about the why. You must obsess about the why. He says you want to obsess about the why you're doing the what. You want to keep the why front and center. And the reason for that is this. Uh, why the, 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 the why is going to keep you from giving up when you want to quit. The why is going to drive you to do the what. Sometimes we put the car before the horse and we know the what. We know the how, but we don't know the why. And yet, and, and, and here we have people that are going to come in and they're going to be new converts and they'll know the what, they'll know the how, but they don't know the why. And the why is going to, it, the why is what's going to pick them up on a Monday morning when the devil's fighting them. The why is going to pick them up on a Friday night when all their friends are going to the party and they're not going and they're depressed and be like, I can't do this, I can't do that. They'll remember why. They're why, why. We have to become champions of the why. When a person understands that it's all about Jesus, how many know that he is our why? He is our reason. He is our purpose. Amen. When we know our why, it enables us to make it through dry seasons. When we know the why. And I'm over time, but lastly, in the 21st century, I believe that we need, we must be preaching and sharing the gospel with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. With the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Yes. There are many people that are ministering without the anointing. They are ministering. They have a love for the lost, but there is no truth being spoken because it's only by the Holy Ghost that we are led into all truth. Yes. And we must have the anointing. We need to be anointed in, in our church, in our worship, in our outreach. If we really desire growth in this church, there has to be anointing involved in our outreach. We can have the best outreach programs that they came out with, the freshest ideas. But if we don't have an anointing, all we have is just programs. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and it makes all the difference in the 21st century. Amen. It's still the same message, the same God, but we just want to share it in new methods, new ideas, some old still and some new. Amen. Uh, very quickly, I, I want to add that when, when we talk about um, you know, modernizing or, or adapting um, the Bible or the truth or the message to today's society, it's important to remember that history still matters. It does. History still matters. We learn from our history. Uh, if we went around the room today, we could all tell testimonies that are based off of history, things that God has brought us from and things that God has brought us to and, and all those different things. Um, and it's important to remember that history is valuable, but no one should have the desire to change history. No one is trying to change this message. No wise person. It's, it's true. It's, it's perfect. It's the word of God. Um, but what we do is we take that history, what we've been taught, what we've experienced, and we apply to it. We add on to it. And the, the illustration I keep thinking of is, is every year, um, 
whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you, you name a sport, there's a championship game to be played, right? We just had the World Series not too long ago. Someone, you know, a, a team won, and it was the greatest accomplishment of, of some of those men's life, according to them. Uh, but next year, someone else will win the World Series. Different team, it, it's going to change. And the way that the next team wins is they take what this team did, what they've done extremely well, and they add a twist to it to make it new and improved in order to give them the edge over the last team. That's what we have to learn to do with the gospel. We're not trying to, to change the game of baseball here. We're simply taking our talents, our abilities that God has given us, the testimonies that, that God has, has brought us from and all these different things, and we're just adding a new twist to it to get us to a higher level, to reach new people, to make a, a bigger difference. The fundamentals never change, okay? You still got to be able to know what a baseball is. You still got to know how to swing a bat. The fundamentals are the fundamentals. What people do with the fundamentals then is what makes them either lesser or greater. So um, let me just, as we wrap this up tonight, I, I want to ask several of you, who is your favorite preacher? Don't, I'm not asking for, okay. <laughs> Who is your second favorite preacher? Well, who is your fourth favorite preacher? <laughs> no, any preachers that are not, not here. Who is, yes, Sister Hughes. Brother Sergeant, okay. Somebody else got a favorite, just somebody you absolutely love. Maybe he's not your favorite. Somebody you really love, Brother Price. Brother Glidden, all right. Brother, Brother Cox, okay. One more. Brother Tapia, we got... Did you say Lee Stone King? Jerry Jones. Oh, Jerry Jones. All right. You're going to get to hear him in a, in a couple of weeks. Who? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, he's phen phenomenal. Great preacher. Okay. All of these men, they, they, they strike. We got all these different answers, but they, they've all reached you with the same message. But their delivery is different. Not a single one that you mentioned, and I, I've heard every one of them that you have, that you've mentioned, I've heard every one of them preach. There's not a single one of them that has the same delivery, but they are all bringing the same message. And with that same message, with different delivery, they reach different sorts of people. Okay. There is no other gospel. If, if somebody's not preaching the full gospel, the Bible says, let him be accursed. So we have that mandate. And brother, let me tell you something. I do not for one second of my life ever want to step outside of what the word of God has mandated me as a preacher, pastor, Christian to do. I want to stay in the word. I want to stay in the word. Uh, but if we never change our methods of delivery, we would still be launching out into a boat preaching over the, the waters or standing on a hillside in a robe. Let's be honest with ourselves. There have been changes from the time that Jesus and the disciples preached on their delivering how they got the message out there and, and how we do it in the, in the 21st century. But the message has never changed. We need to be careful that just because we don't care for something, that we don't turn it into a sin. There's been a lot of a lot of renditions of Amazing Grace out there. I've heard it sung fast. I've heard it slowed down. I've heard it put with another little song. I've heard it even with different melodies. But the words are still the same. 
and it's effective in each way that it's delivered. You may not like broccoli, but that doesn't mean that the person sitting next to you that's, that's it's his favorite thing on the plate shouldn't eat it. So we have to be careful that we don't look at something that is a new way of delivering the same message to a different group of people or an individual possibly that's sitting on our, on our pew. We've got to be able to relate to the problems and the issues of our day. And we do that by, by reaching out the way that we do. Amen. Never, never is it okay to, to, to change the doctrine, to change the message, to change the gospel. Never is it okay to do any of those things. But sometimes the way that we get the word out, Jesus never had a, a billboard out on the main street. He never had a, a church that had lights shining up on it with, that said Landmark Apostolic Church. He never had any of that, but he had the message. And the message worked then, and the message, thank God, still works today. Amen. Facebook can be abused. Let's just be honest with it. Facebook's got a lot of garbage on it. Facebook is a, an opportunity to, for us to either misuse it or use it in the proper way. I'm glad that we have it. And just because somebody else does something wrong with it doesn't mean that we can't do something right with it. Amen. There's methods that we use in our day and our era, amen, to promote this gospel. I want to tell you our podcast has now reached 29,000 downloads. 29,000 downloads of our podcast. We are not a massive mega church here, folks. We are just a church that is reaching our world with the message that the same message that the that the Jesus preached, the same message that the disciples preached, it's the same message, and it's being affected and it's being heard all around the world. That I we you said it, we would be foolish not to take that tool and use it to the advantage. Maybe it's not to the advantage of our local assembly. As far as I know, nobody's ever sent us a dime that's uh, listened to. But who knows who's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name and repented of, the, of their sins because of the messages that have gone forth from the ministry of this church. And there is an anointing on that. A great anointing. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.